Cause you know I'm all about that beer, about that beer. No stable. I'm all about that beer, about that beer. No stable. I'm all about that beer, about that beer. No stable. I'm all about that beer, about This that is RebelNet Radio with your hosts T.E. Parker and Joe Spolatro. Joe, we are all about that beard, about that beard, no stubble. I don't know where you found that song, T. Well, I, I dug it up, and then I rewrote it, and it came out pretty pretty fan, phenomenal, I believe. Uh, I see you are rocking the beard. I think, uh, is that all about the beard, about the no, beard, no the, stubble? this is all about taking off time. You know, scheduling the time off in the beginning of the year, hopeful that you'll make an NCAA tournament, you'll be able to travel and all that good stuff, but instead you stay at home and you watch all the games on TV and you decide not to move off the couch, basically. That's what this is. And, and no razor. And no razor. And no razor. No I like razor it. at all. Well. Lucky you got a shower out of me. <laughs> well, it, it fits in perfectly with uh, the way UNLV is headed right now. We are all about that beard. Chris Beard, uh, formerly of Arkansas Little Rock, he is now the UNLV basketball coach, replacing Dave Rice after, what, a little over three months of wondering, waiting, hitting, missing, a lot of speculation, a lot of disappointment, a lot of fans, wanted certain guys. It's been similar to almost every other UNLV coaching search in the last 15 years is one side wants one, another side wants another, and this time nobody ended up with one. We ended up with Chris Beard. What do you think, Joe? Well, I think that's the way it panned out. I mean, UNLV set their sights really high looking at some top-name coaches, and for one reason or another, they fell through, and... But Beard was always on the list. He just wasn't one of the top guys that you were trying to aim for. So, um, you know, I think all in all, I think uh, just gauging the fan reaction uh, on our site, it's it was actually the reaction was a lot better than I anticipated, to tell you the truth. And, and yeah, think, it's been positive. Yeah, I th- and I think that's um, – I think there's some – I don't know, people are a little bit – cautious about it but they they like what they see in terms of his record he hasn't stayed any one place for any period of time but everywhere he's been he's had success and he's moved up afterwards Mm -hmm. so um you know i think people just want at this point a fresh start let's see what we got let's roll it out there and let's start building again and see what we can do so i think as much as anything it was probably a relief for a lot of fans i'm sure it was for unlv just to get through through this whole process so i think that's what some of the the jubilation, at least on our site, is about. Yeah, I, I think fans that are supportive of the program, regardless of what the coach is or who the coach is, uh, we're very excited just to get it over with and um, really just get started on this on this new journey of where we're headed. And, and we can break down Chris Beard in a little bit, but... Uh, he wasn't number one. He wasn't number two. Probably not number three or four for a lot of people. But you know what? In the press release, Tina Kunza Murphy brought up the point that actually it was uh, Len Jessup, President Len Jessup, that said, 
that uh, Chris Beard could be one of the up-and-coming rising coaches in the country. And you know what? Guess what? He he, he could be, uh, especially if he comes in here and he's able to turn things around uh, as quick as he has in other joints. Um, you know, he will definitely put his mark on, on NCAA basketball. Um, we can get into the whole does style matter and all that thing in a little bit, but uh, right now, I think people are so starved for winning that they'll take anything. Yeah, like you said, we'll talk about style of play a little bit later, but, and, and I'm, you know, I've always been big on style of play. Um, that's decreased a little bit in terms of, but well, the shot clock is shortened, so you can't be as slow as you once were. And and I I think you know there are still slow teams, obviously. And but even the fast teams, it's not like they're playing at uh, breakneck speed either. So um, I've softened my position on that. I still don't like boring half court offense myself. But if if on the other end, if you're going to defend hard, rebound the ball, not give up. Um, open shots, you're going to challenge everything. And offensively, if you don't, you're not going to turn it over. I, I think I could live with most of that. Um, I mean, I, I, San Diego State, as much as none, as much as none of us like them, defensively, um, that's not a bad program to emulate. Mm-hmm. And if UNLV could get anywhere near that level or that type of effectiveness, I, I think there's a little bit more leniency on the offensive end, as long as it's not as bad as San Diego State's is on the offensive end. <clears throat> well, if you go by uh, Ken Palm's offensive efficiency adjustment, or uh, actually his pace, offensive pace adjustment, uh, Little Rock was third last in the country, mm-hmm. 352nd, actually 353rd, I believe, uh, just in front of Virginia and, uh, and Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, which Denver has Joe Scott as the head coach. Right. And we all know about Virginia. Yeah. Um, but the interesting part is of the 25 teams in the bottom half, they were much more successful than the 25 teams from 1 to 25. Right. Uh, the, the 1 through 25, not many of them had winning records. Uh Maybe they well, turned the ball over a lot. Maybe they just tried to be too fast. Maybe they were doing it just out of that's all we can do is try and speed up the game. Uh, whatever the case is, you know, he he put in a style in there in Little Rock, and they had their best season probably in school history. But with pace, T, basically it's going to take you 10 seconds to get into your offense, 10 of the 30 seconds out of the shot clock. That's going to leave you with 20. Now, if you're a fast-paced team, you're usually shooting within the first 10 seconds after you get it across half court. That puts you at 20 seconds. So how much slower can you actually be? What I'm saying is slowness is it's relative and it's decreased because the shot clock is shorter. I think what's more important um, is offensive efficiency. Yeah, are you Do, getting good shots? Are you getting good shots? Because if, you, if you're going to get an okay shot at – 18 seconds into the 30-second shot clock versus a really good shot at 24 seconds into the shot clock, is it going to be that huge of a difference to the naked eye? Seriously. I think the key is you, you keep your turnovers down, 
and you take good shots. If that happens in 18 seconds, God bless you. If it happens in 25 seconds, I still think that's fine. Well, the key is if you're playing at that tempo and, like you said, you're getting good shots and then you're defending on the other end and they are not getting good shots, you actually shrink the game into your favor. Sure. And I think that's where those bottom 25 teams have actually did a great job in terms of, hey, we're getting open looks. You're not. Now, you know, if it turns out that UNLV plays um, in in the – non-conference season and let's say I don't even know everybody on the non-conference schedule yet but let's say UNLV plays a typical team like who's somebody that we typically have here during right before the break not a great team but let's say Southern Utah well well, we are playing in Southern Utah we learned that we learned that already but I mean if UNLV is going to go to Southern Utah and they're going to score 51 points 56 points in a game against a team like that and that becomes the norm Stylistically, I think it becomes an issue for uh, a handful of fans, for sure, um, or a percentage of the fans. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, what's going to determine whether fans accept something or not is whether you win or lose. Now, I think if you win, fans are going to be more forgiving about pace. If you're not going to win, boy, fans they're going to be bored out of their minds. They're going to be bored out of their minds, and they're going to get really pissed off really quickly. You cannot be slow and lose. You could be slow and win, but the other way around, it's just very tough for people to overcome. Yeah, looking at this higher, Joe, I, I really think they just wanted to make a, a complete 180 in terms That's of typical in with terms a lot of hires. Of, in terms of where Dave Rice was, Dave Rice, very offensive-minded coach, uh, very lenient, lots of freedom, lots of freedom from his players, very mild-mannered, um, and now you you bring in a guy that's very intense, very Control. emotional, um, you know, and then defensive-minded as well. Uh, it, it's a big difference from. The Rice regime. Well, we think so. We haven't seen it yet in action. I mean, this contract hasn't even passed the Board of Regents yet. So, you know, the way things go in Las Vegas sometimes, we may be ending up naming another coach. True. Bogman's still got hope. No, it's – I mean, this is going to happen. I, I've already heard that, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, that, you know, everything is above board with the contract. Well, I would hope so. There are no real issues. And when it gets put through um, – It'll meet without much of a hitch. So, I don't if know. they were willing to do three million, I'm assuming they'd be willing to do this contract. But you know, would you stop with the three million? Everybody keeps throwing that number out there on the internet like it's fact. It, what there was no three million. Okay, I'm just telling you. Well, it, no, just uh, was out there. Some, I don't know. Somebody posted it, and then everybody and their mother ran with it that it was three million. I know it wasn't three million. That UNLV was not going to be pl- paying. Mick Cronin, if they landed him three million dollars a year. Well, how much were they going to pay him then? Uh, it was going to be just north of two million, which is a big difference. Well, maybe that's why he walked. No, 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 no. Is, is this what you want to get into? No. I mean, we we, could, we get into whatever you want. Uh-huh. You know. Uh-huh. I mean, we you want to go down the the list? What well, we we can go down the list of all the coaches that we've talked to and looked at wow. since. Uh, Let's let's just start it. Let's say Frank Martin. We heard about him interviewing potentially early on. You know, I, I just don't know that um, overall when you look at Frank Martin, I think he's a real good coach. Obviously, 
over the top with his intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a large contract there. There's a large buyout there. There's, I, I'm not aware of NCAA issues, but there were a couple of uh, school issues with hmm. getting a little too physical with players. Um, I just don't know that that would have been something that was super easy to sell in Las Vegas. And and um, was there interest? Was there mutual interest? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I believe that. I just think that um, certain sometimes you can't wrestle with the numbers and make them work. Um, UNLV is not a super well-funded athletic department. There's no, Three million. Yeah, three million. There we go with the three million. Potentially four. Yeah, exactly. In fact, we almost got Patino. Yeah. We actually had five. We had some in reserve, right? There you go. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think there were, you know, when you're looking at contracts, everybody looks and says, hey, what's this guy making at St. John's? He's making $2 million a year. Well, if we offer him $2.3 million, we got him. It's not that no, simple. No state tax. It's not that simple. Yeah, first of all, you know what? That, that's something to look at because that ends up becoming a, a, a perk. In, yeah, in for a sure. I mean, if you're paying 5% uh, state tax and you make the same money in, in Las Vegas, well, you're actually making 5% more on your contract. But it, it's more than that. It's buyouts. And a lot of people don't know about the whole buyout and how buyouts actually work. And they can become very cumbersome and there are obstacles Good that word. sometimes you cannot just overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, An- another candidate we have to speak of uh, – we were all over on the confidential board that Jamie Dixon was unhappy at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was unhappy with him. Uh, he was definitely looking for another place to go midway through this. Well, let's say after the Rice firing. Yeah, and, it was uh, early. It was very early interest. For sure. Um, and uh, he ended up leaving, going to his alma mater. Well, they, they, Pittsburgh had a situation that, I'd say was very, very similar to UNLV and Kruger towards the end of uh, Kruger's tenure here. It was just many fans were just, I I won't say tired. It it wasn't a lot of vitriol or anything like that. It was just like, is this all we're going to do? Are we going to keep doing the same thing year after year after year? And I think... Well, you miss it when it's gone, though. Well, yeah. And and you know what? With Pittsburgh's recent hiring of... uh, Yeah, so who Kevin Stallings. Kevin Stallings. They they may be um, wishing for that as well. But um, I, so I, I think they just kind of cooled on each other. The fans, the administration, Jamie and Pittsburgh, and he was you know looking to get out. These, and I'm going to be honest. I really thought the Jamie Dixon thing really had the potential of happening. I in fact I was um, I would have called him a strong leader for a number of weeks there. But the problem is while coaches are working, you're not able to really negotiate and get things worked out. And I Mm -hmm. think, I think in the end, contractually, the year to year contract, UNLV was fine with Jamie. Um, I really do, but I, 4 million. Yeah. 4 million or 3 million. No, Um, it it would all been in the same high area ballpark, 2.2 to 2.5, I'd say. But what became the major issue there is, Pittsburgh had a very, very large contract. If I, I'd have to look this up, but I believe that on Jamie's buyout, he had one million dollars per year remaining on his contract as a buyout, which was seven million dollars. And the way buyouts work is, um, you know, that's that's money that's owed to the university. Typically, the coach owes it. Is how the contract works. The coach owes the money, but 
typically the school that takes the coach pays that money. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not always a firm number. A university could always haggle with it. They could lower it. And with Pitt wanting to part with Jamie without firing him, because if they fire him, they've got to pay the money in full on his contract. Right. So, you know, with them wanting to part with him and him being willing to go, of course they're going to be willing to negotiate a little bit of that buyout. However, how much, even if you negotiate that con- that buyout 50% down and it's $3.5 million, you know he's in no position to afford a $3.5 million buyout. I mean, the uni- the Pittsburgh could have demanded that it's paid in cash in full. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they just, they just don't have that sort of wiggle room. And I think in the end what happened was, um, you know, everyone was hopeful that the buyout might have been a little bit more agreeable. And in the end it wasn't. And now you got a school, his alma mater, TCU, that comes by. They have plenty of football money there. They're Big 12, a lot of cash. They could very easily afford the payout. And, and Pittsburgh, you got to look at it from their standpoint. Well, well, yeah, we'll take whatever we can get out of that buyout. You're offering $3 million? Mm-hmm. We'll take the $3 million. Take our coach. So they end up making out on it. Well, and the great thing about Dixon going to TCU is he gets to start over and new five-year contract in terms of... Did you see the terms? No. I didn't either. I didn't see the terms of his contract. But it, it's interesting... Um, it's actually the way to go nowadays. Right when you start to lose your, your welcome, get out. Yeah. Go somewhere else. Sure. Somewhere that needs a fresh start. Well, we, we've seen it. There's always a demand for coaches. You're always, there's always schools looking right. for good coaches. Um, Sticking around one place is know, not a good, good uh, career move anymore. You know, and, and in terms of Dixon, I, I was lukewarm. I, I was kind of excited just because... He made what was it nine NCAA tournaments in his last eleven years. At yeah, he, something. something he attained strong. a number one ranking, a number one seed. He's made it to a couple Sweet Sixteens, I believe, in Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in terms of resume, I was excited. In terms of you, you know, we we started you and I started watching um, Pittsburgh play what the last couple weeks of their season. Yeah. And a couple games into what we were watching, they go and they defeat Duke, and they looked fantastic beating Duke. And they then they just lose click, the next and, two And games. then they lose the next two games playing very slow, uninspired basketball. The defense that I thought we were going to see just was very mediocre. And then we seen the first-round NCAA tournament they loss. They scored, what, 44 points? Something like that. It was pretty embarrassing. And, and I was lukewarm. I was excited because um, it looked like he could win at a high clip, but you know, that he looked kind of burnt out, and maybe he was, and he will get re-energized at TCU. Um, I was kind of, in, in terms of UNLV's one, two, and three candidates for the job, for me, Dixon was number three personally. Mm, me too. He was number three. Me too. Uh, number one for me was Stephen F. Austin, head coach. Um, Brad Underwood. We missed out on that one. If you and or if, excuse me, if Stephen F. Austin doesn't win that game against West Virginia, I think UNLV has a different head coach whenever the sixteen seventeen season rolls around. Uh, but once he won that game against West Virginia and, and basically manhandled a team that most around the country feared, mm-hmm. uh, there was a different vibe. It was like this guy's really good. 
Yes. Yeah, not just good. He's really good. Especially coming off the heels. Didn't he win a game last year as well? Yes. In the NCAA tournament? No, I, I think they got beaten in the NCAA tournament last year, but the year before they won a game. Okay. So, yeah, I, Underwood was very intriguing to me. Oh, Again, man, we, he we runs watched, good stuff. We watched a lot of um, his games, too, towards the, the end of his regular season, and, and the offense that he ran was was great. How hard his players were going at it defensively. They were, they were just so scrappy. Um, a fun team to watch. Uh, they could score the ball real well. And um, a knowing of who to get the ball to, right. when to get the – they had – in all their games that we watched – Different guys got hot, and and it was really nice to see how the team rode hot players. Yeah. Whether that was their fourth or fifth best scorer or not, they rode them until they couldn't score anymore. And, and you know, I agree with you. I think, I think there were two things that had to happen in order for UNLV not to get Underwood, and they both happened. Yep. Um, a Big 12 job had to open. Mm-hmm. And that happened with, obviously, Oklahoma State. And he had to win a game. And beating West Virginia, which was a Big 12 school. Right. And I think it just um, it resonated for them very well. And boom, snap right from UNLV. Again, was UNLV close on that one? Yeah, I think UNLV has. Uh, Brad Underwood, if if neither of those two happen, I really do. And But it's funny you say that because um, in a way, when you look at Beard, we have no way of knowing at this time, but we could be catching Chris Beard before he becomes Brad Underwood. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. I completely so, agree with that. Um, you never know. No, we don't. I mean, he, he, he was very successful in his one-year at Alabama, Birmingham, the turnaround Arkansas. job. Arkansas. I'm sorry. Little Rock. Oh, Birmingham. That was another guy we were looking at. Jared, Jared Haas. Haas. who went to Stanford. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, what what he did there in Arkansas was was impressive. It, it turned that team around oh. and, and win a game in the NCAAs. And, Especially know. whenever his club had finished under 500 the last three or four years. He comes in there. He has four players. That stuck around. Right. He went out and got some JUCOs. He got a couple transfers, uh, a couple high school kids, and he he basically put a Frankenstein team together and told them, "Hey, we're going to go out and we're going to defend and we're going to play as hard as we can." And uh, started the non-conference ten and zero. I mean, that that's a big deal for for a program like Little Rock that. Doesn't have success. What was their record on the year? Were they like thirty and five? Thirty and five, and that includes the NCAA loss. Yes, and they only had fourteen home games, and they were undefeated at home. Correct. So they won sixteen games on the road, on the road or at a, a neutral, neutral site. site. Yep. And one of those games was at San Diego State, obviously that that we know about. One um, at Tulsa. At Tulsa. Uh, one at DePaul. Uh, granted, it wasn't the most glamorous league or the toughest of schedules, but it. Still, that kind of turnaround and and dominating not only at home but on the road, mm-hmm. um, you know, doesn't mean he's going to do great here, but it's impressive. And uh, you know, it, it was interesting whenever I was trying to do my homework on him, and I was going back to you know the South Carolina Warriors articles and. Uh, the Angelo State articles and just trying to get a feel for the dude. 
And then I came across that article about him in the uh, Louisiana Monroe game, which was a game that I actually sat there and watched the entire game. Uh, it was on that Saturday right before Selection Sunday. And because uh, Arkansas Little Rock had caught my attention throughout the season in terms of being a Cinderella-type team because of how they defended and and whatnot. And um, so they were down at halftime to Monroe. And I was a little bit down. I was like, man, this team isn't nearly as good as mm-hmm. as, as what... Uh, All you need to do is break a hand. What the, what the press clippings are. Goes into the locker room, breaks his hand, pounding a uh, chalkboard or a dry erase board, and and his team comes out and wins the second half, forty-two to seventeen. You know, uh, then he goes in the NCAA tournament and uh, trailing Purdue by thirteen with three and a half minutes to go, and they end up taking that to overtime. Uh, he, his his kids were just don't give up type of players right. and and that has to be coming from him because they didn't have that before right so that that's an interesting piece to me because um we've seen the UNLV teams over the last few years get off to great starts and they've been a bunch of clubs that couldn't close the close the deal they couldn't finish and uh so it's it's exciting in a way to see a coach that uh, demands certain things and and holds holds kids accountable. Well, it, it, like you said, I mean, it's almost like UNLV decided to go 180 from Rice with with the way they chose, and that that happens with a lot of hires. If if one doesn't work out as well as you thought, well, that means you may as well try the exact opposite, and maybe you'll you'll get different results. Um, I'll admit, uh, I'm not going to lie, I, as talented as some of UNLV's players have been over the past few years, I think that the freedom was one of the things um, Total downfall. that really hurt UNLV, and, and I understand Freedom why. with certain types of players. Freedom with BYU players that understand don't care about... Who's getting the buckets? And they're not worried about the NBA. Fine. And they're worried about winning a game. Right. Yeah, I think that works. I, I think it takes a certain type of player. If you're going to play free, it's a huge risk. and um, It's a huge responsibility for yeah, the players. It's much, it's much more difficult. Right. Yeah. I mean, it sounds good in theory to the players, but there, there's a lot more responsibility. Um, well, it was yeah, good for the players yeah, here. They went to the NBA. Yeah, and, and you, you need more discipline to be free, as, as weird as that sounds. Yes. They're, they're contradictory terms almost, um, but you do. You need more discipline. Absolutely. So, it's, um, so that came – So, but now if, we're, if we do see what, we ex, what we're expecting to see, some discipline and accountability, it's, it's going to be very odd. It's going to be different. Um, refreshing, I don't know, because that's – rebuilding a culture and you but we just, have no culture well even if it's even if you well you still have every player is left after every year anyway yeah but let's <laughs> say you return we and we'll get into this later we don't know what we're returning yet with daquan cook going dave rice in five years had not one player make his fourth year correct that's just sad. But what I'm saying is if you return if you are recruiting to a certain type of style and we have some of those players still here for next year's team, they they're not going to be here. So you're saying we're going to have zero players? <sighs> Let's run through them. 
Let's run through well, them and, well, and, and I thought, see. I, th- I thought we were talking about the coaching search. We never even got through the big Mick. We'll, we'll get through it. All right. Let, let's go to Mick Cronin. That, okay. That's our final one. Let's talk about him. Mick Cronin came in, and uh, news broke a couple days before um, that, hey, Mick Cronin's looking at UNLV. UNLV's looking at Mick Cronin. Uh, Cincinnati fans went crazy on Twitter. UNLV fans went crazy on Twitter. Got pushed back a couple days. Uh, eventually, Cronin did come. He hung out in Las Vegas for, what, a day and a half uh, toward the arena, toward the the campus, had some meetings, and uh, you take it from there. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I was calling you up on the phone saying get the story ready because it was ready. This is going to happen. Um, I'm sure I, South Florida felt that way last year too, huh? I doubt it. I mean, not 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 a two day business trip, not with the intricate details that were wanted by the coach, um, wanting to know everything about infrastructure and everything down to um, APR and things of that nature. I don't. If you're looking for that, you're interested. If you're, if you, there's if you're, no doubt he was interested. I mean, you're if you're digging that deep. Otherwise, just show up in the city, you know, interview, go lay out at the pool, play some slots, whatever, and make it look like you're interested when you're really not. And, and then you could get your employer to actually give you a raise or give you facilities or bonuses or whatever it is you're looking for. Um, you know, I I know Tina went on the um, air and talked about uh, how disappointed she was and how they had a deal. And, um, you know, I, I heard part of that interview. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, T, I, I believe everybody was very, very, very comfortable. And the only reason that they were comfortable was because they 100% believed Mick Cronin was here. And the only way you're going to believe that is if you hear it out of his mouth. The only way that you could be more sure of it is if you have his signature on the line. So I think they heard it out of his mouth on multiple occasions. How do you let him leave, though, without doing something? You know, I, it's a good question. I, In retrospect, I think you say you sign. Something. Or the deal's off the table. I mean, even if it's a napkin. But let me ask you this. <laughs> sign your name on something. I understand, but somebody looks you in the eye. Let's say somebody looks you in the eye. Mm-hmm. Like you are right now. They make you a Kinda promise. Me, and they uh... make you a promise and they shake your hand. Uh-huh. Doesn't and they get on a plane Wait, and no, know no. they're never going to see you again. Yeah, but what what are you going to be inclined to believe that I'm being played or this person that I've spent the last two days with is telling me the truth? I mean, seriously. Yeah, I get it. I mean, if they if he dug that deep, if they negotiated that long, um, he wanted to know everything about the university, the players, what's returning, APRs, you know, all the personnel files, all this and that, and then he tells you, you got your coach. And he shakes your hands, and I'll be in contact. And then, you know, any follow-up contact is, don't worry, we're good. i got to tell my players. I, I want to break it to my players. I want to go talk to my family. I, I can understand the positioning. I mean, because you, you don't expect – I mean, it's a small fraternity coaching. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like it's a stranger. Even, though, even if they never met him before, it's still not like he's a stranger. So I can understand thinking you got your guy, and then, you know, when it comes out, when you learn of it through a president's tweet, that's kind of... um, You don't admit that, Joe. Well, you don't admit it, but it's also a really crappy way to let somebody know. 
Yeah, but that you're not taking a job. That's pathetic. But well, the, the whole way that played out, yeah, I don't, I don't think it uh, put anything in a good light. It's all about the beard, about the beard, yeah. no stubble. So I do think, and, and you know what? I think um, again, Cronin was sort of similar to Dixon in that they they were slow down, but the, you know what? He wasn't nearly as slow down, and his defense was really good and strong, and he was fiery. He. Cronin was my number two. I liked Underwood, Cronin, and then Dixon out of that first grouping. And then when, when you got outside of that first grouping, you know, there were a whole host of inquiries that have been made within the past couple months. Um, you know, I, one that piqued my interest a little bit was uh, Jared Haas. Sure. Um, I, I, I liked Underwood one. Probably uh, St. Mary's coach number two. Haas probably three, Dixon four. You liked Haas better than Dixon? Yeah. So did Stanford. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can imagine but, since you they know, hired he, him. You know, uh, there, there are just so many names that were inquired and attempted. You know, um, a couple of Pac-12 coaches from uh, Oregon State, from Colorado, uh, Providence. So it's not like UNLV was looking at low-level coaches or not trying to get things done. I think they... And it was it's not a going down the list. It's like let's inquire on all these and see which one fits the best and which money makes the most sense and which ones are, are real. Let's shake it up and see what falls out and then chase those. The, and, uh, the interesting thing here is me and you are both lifelong UNLV fans. We've both been around the program for many, many years. And neither one of us right now said Lavin or Ogman, which a lot of Fans wanted one or the other, you know, and, and I I can understand fans. The the Lavin one didn't um, doesn't entice me at all. It didn't entice me. I, I mean, the, the, for my reasons, I mean, you could look at his resume and and I could see where people would be interested in that. I learned a few too many things about the guys that probably not a lot of people know just about um, how he runs a program and practices and things of that yeah. nature. Roll out the ball when, when I talked out talked to people that just. Kind of made me really just say, and that was this a long time good. ago we heard that. And the Augment thing, I mean, you cannot blame fans for gravitating towards him. You honestly cannot. Um, I mean, he's probably the best player in the history of your program. He's mm-hmm. a four-year player. He, he was here for five years. Um, retired number, won a national championship, a couple Final Fours. Very loyal. Very loyal. And, um, you know, I just, I just had a hard time believing that UNLV was going to go, whether it was Stacy or not, I didn't think UNLV was going to look at an assistant coach at all. I didn't period. either. And I think that automatically kind of knocked Stacy out of the race. Um, had UNLV gone with an assistant coach from another school, I think a lot of people would have been even more pissed off and probably rightfully so at that point. Sure. Uh, but they wanted somebody with Division One. Even though Beard only had one year, he showed he could win in the NCAA tournament. So that may be stretching it, but not really. He still has run a program completely by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm the type that where, where I would have been fine with Augman. I, I, you know, he had a good rapport with the players. Um, it was just, I, I just, I just didn't see it. Not, not on the heels. Of UNLV not quite getting it done with an assistant coach. Right, right, right. Uh, when your last hire is going back in history and taking a top assistant and it not working out, especially when he was part of that staff, 
That's even more damning. Yeah, the, the deck was stacked against them. Uh, it really was. And and, it, and it's unfortunate. It, it's more of a timing thing. And, and it's just, it, it breaks my heart. It really does. Um, Stacy's a, a great guy, great rebel. And it's, it's just, it's, it's tough to see this happen. It really is. But the best thing for Stacy right now is similar to the best thing that happened to Dave Rice was a new coach came in and like when Kruger came in and basically said, it's time to go spread your wings, go somewhere. You yeah, know, you're not going to be you're not going to be a head coach at UNLV if you stay here. Your and we'll life. find out if yeah. Stacy really wants to be a head coach or not. I mean that that's my feeling on it. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I who knows which way all this stuff is going to turn now. And, and if he's an assistant on this next staff, great. I don't well, know. That's still something we know nothing about. Because this coach seems like he'd fit Stacy's style a lot. <laughs> Steals, pressure defense, right? You know, get in the passing lanes. I don't know who's going to be offered, if anybody. So we'll see. It's leading to a lot of um, wild speculation and some hysteria too, because you <laughs> want well a little bit. Def Leppard uh, have, have you have you looked, read the boards? I know you don't haven't po posted since January, <laughs> but I don't know if you still read the. Yes, boards. yes, have yes. Have you been to rebelnet.com, T? The yes. confidential board? UNLV.N.Rivals.net. Oh, is that what? Uh, .net? Or .com. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, because everybody wants to compete next year. Nobody wants to, to take a year off. To take a year off and We've build. taken five years off, it feels like. Well, Ten yeah. years. But you know what? It, it's one thing when, when you have expectations. Obviously, it hurts more when they're not met. But I don't think people want to go into this next season with zero expectations and have those met. Um, so I think people want, rightfully so, because there's talent there on UNLV's squad. They want some retainment so that UNLV could start competing next year. I don't know how much of that will happen. Um, we've read all day today about um, team meetings. and we, I haven't meetings. heard anything on the individual meetings yet. No, I haven't heard anything on the individual meetings. but um, They could have gone better. They could have. Um, you know, when you're in that's a, different. You're, when you're in a group, you know, sometimes the strongest personality, mm -hmm. whatever he thinks or what, what attitude he takes is what everybody else is going to take. Right. You and, know? And, and when Beard says one thing that makes someone cringe, maybe everyone cringes. cringes. Right. Yeah. So I, I think one-on-ones are going to be a lot better, I think. Plus, they, you get to speak in the one-on-ones. Right. Which is... Right, you get to know Big. somebody a little bit better, and and you could feel each other out and see exactly what each other wants. So, I mean, based on the team meetings, it sounds like there's going to be quite a few defections, mm -hmm. and um, we'll see after the individuals. But regardless, I still expect defections. I mean, th this, you know, it, you have to break some eggs to make an omelet, and and there's just going to be some players that are gonna seeking out and and they're going to go play elsewhere and, and fans have to deal with it that's part of what happens whenever there's a coaching change um it didn't happen with rice when he came in and took over for kruger but that's rare yeah well rice a wasn't going to force anybody out no and it's well he honored dantley walker's scholarship correct, that, correct. that he's not going to force anybody out and two it was a pretty tight roster right and culture and that he came in with yes. yeah yeah it's actually a shame that that Rice wasn't able to recruit a couple kids onto that team to start building that foundation. 
Yeah, you mean to learn from, from Oscar, Oscar and, and, and yep. Jayhawk and yeah, and Anthony. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you a little bit, but um, so it, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks because we really don't know. We don't know what the staff looks like, and we have no clue what the roster looks like. And if there there is a lot of roster depletion, you got to make up for some lost time really quickly. Well, the the good news is, a he was in the JUCO ranks for for a few years. And B, uh, he's been recruiting kids. Right. It's not like he right. he's coming from. No, I'm not saying it's an impossible task. The NBA saying, or something. I'm just saying, you know, you need it. We may need pretty you know, directly four or five players relatively quickly. One of the nice things is players tend to sign later nowadays in 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 the spring period rather than the fall. I mean, it used to be everybody used to sign in the fall. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's about half and half and there's still a lot of prospects out there maybe not top 10s or top 20s that you know he's used to getting but then again that's the interesting uh, thing beard doesn't seem like the type of guy that is gonna go crazy with top 10s or top 20s he seems like a guy that um isn't crazy at all about entitlement right and as the player ranking goes up well that that's the interesting thing um if he learned a lot under Bobby Knight, which he claims he did, uh, Bobby Knight certainly didn't recruit. He he stuck a, a big-time player in there every once in a while, like a Calvert Chaney or a Damon Bailey or an Allen Henderson, uh, Quinn Buckner maybe. Um, but he basically had teams of role players uh, that he would fill in with one or two big-time recruits. So maybe he'll bring that type of philosophy to the recruiting trail, which would be fine with me. Yeah. I mean, we've seen what six five-stars do on the court. They look like hell if you're not Kentucky or North Carolina. Well, you could say that, but even Kentucky, I mean, what did they lose in the second round this year? Yeah. So, And they missed the... NCAA tournament a couple of years ago, they, and they won a national championship. I personally, I don't like those types of ups and downs. I kind of, if I could emulate any program in the country, There's one I would hundred percent. Right, we'll, 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 we'll we'll see if we differ. Kansas, me, Kansas, absolutely hundred percent. Kansas to me is the model. The fact that Czech Diallo did not get off the bench in that final or Elite Eight game, I'm sold. Well, I was sold way before. Well, absolutely, I just, absolutely. I just, I just but think we're just talking recent. I'm I'm talking from A to Z in terms of yeah. the program. Of course, they have incredible fan support, booster support. Um, but their kids stay. Their yeah. kids stay. They don't. You know, they're not delusional. I mean, we, we remember the rumors about uh, Elijah Johnson maybe transferring back here because he was unhappy as a freshman, and then as it turns out, by the time he's a senior. You know he's a stud on the team. Yeah, and and you know you'll all be twelve. You, you almost look at um, somebody like Buddy Heald for Oklahoma. There was a kid who was very pissed off early in his career. Um, mm-hmm. You know these kids in general they don't have patience today, unfortunately, no. and and it makes the whole game suffer. It makes programs yeah, yeah. suffer. You got too many people around him saying, "Dude, you're so much better than the guy you're sitting behind." Coach doesn't know what the hell he's doing. You got to get out of there. Right. And then you find somebody else to kiss your butt, and then you go and you. Uh, Kate and Reinhardt. Transfer. Transfer. You can go back to one of these old podcasts after he left. I, think I'm I, sure I know I did. predicted another transfer. I'm sure you did. 
Yeah, we found out yesterday that uh, he's leaving Southern Cal, his dream school. And uh, it was such a dream school, he committed to him twice. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> trying to relive the dream. Yeah, come back to UNLV and play at UNLV twice and Southern Cal twice. What do you think? <sighs> Who knows? He could never play for the sketch. No, no. That's, I think he, he's going to be the anti-beard. Right. Yeah, he's going to be the razor to the beard. I. I you're right. This this Carlos Johnson from Finley Prep seems uh, yeah. like he'll be a perfect beard uh, player. I have a feeling that when it comes time to reach out, I think he met with him today, actually. Um, when I was looking, and I don't know a lot about our recruits. Um, I can only go about by what I see from our current players. But Carlos Johnson seems like one that will fit right into what Chris Beard does. He's just... Tough as nails, you, you know. He, a lot of fans seen uh, Jorge Gutierrez play before, and, mm-hmm. and that just seems like the type of player that um, we need. We need a lot more blue collar. Another guy that I think will jump right into this with both feet is a, is a Ben Carter. Yeah, if he's got two if knees, he's got two knees to jump in with those two feet. Yeah, <laughs> right. but what I'm saying is it's it's that blue collar mentality. It's not about the starts. It's not about the points. It's not about the minutes. It's about the winning and team. Uh, yeah, let's work it's, together it's to get this uh, done. I think the more charges you see a guy take, uh, the more you, he wants to actually win a game. And Ben, he he had a more have more this year than you know he had collectively as a team the prior two years. So I think I think Kim Carlos Johnson actually uh, Justin Jackson would fit in really well with. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've he's about really that hard working and yeah. And hard nosed and physical, and well, we'll see if that one sticks. Uh, we know, but he won't because he's total Todd guy. Well, so, and uh, he's going to be recruited by North Carolina. Well, if he's a total Todd guy, why well, wouldn't he become a Southern Utah? What are they called? Thunderbirds. 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 I like Southern Utah. He might be a Todd guy, but maybe not a total Todd guy. Not that much of a Todd guy. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with him. We don't know for sure what's going to happen with Carlos Johnson. I expect him to stay, though. Uh, Christian Vital opened up his recruitment, and now all the big boys are after him. I just mm-hmm. saw he picked up a scholarship offer from Louisville. Um, who else is in there? We're missing one. Oh, a Jaylen. very import, important person, Jalen Fisher. What's going to happen with him? Is he, is he going to open up his recruitment? Is he going to only come to UNLV if UNLV keeps uh, – uh, Ryan Miller, sorry about that. And um, wow, it's tough to tell. And then you get to the roster: who's going to stay, who's going to leave. T, I just don't know. I really don't. I've thought about it, and I just think it's one of those things where we've got to wait for the meetings to finish up, and we'll see. You know what we land on? Are we going to are we going to roll snake eyes, or are we going to? What's going to happen? Yeah, it, you can't even really. You can't even really judge right now. I I got to meet the guy before I even make any type of an opinion on him. Um, but where our roster is going to be in a couple weeks, I'm a little bit nervous that it's it's going to be. When I say depleted, uh, it, it could be just uh, gone I too. I I'm really nervous, and, and the reason I'm nervous is because. And it's not because I love the players. I mean, some they all have their positives and their negatives. If he, right. if he can bring out more positives in him, great. If he if he can't, then I I think what 
what worries me the most. I mean, I'm a little bit older now than I was when I was 20, and I know how it re reacted in my 20s, and I know how a lot of the city will react. If UNLV does not put out a good product next year, there's going to be unfair backlash. That's just the way it is. There's going to be expectations attached from year one. I do not think it's fair. I don't like it. I think you need to give um, a guy a couple seasons to get his philosophy in here, his players in here, and, and see what he can do. I just don't think fans in the city, they afford that. And it'll, it'll show in the uh, attendance. And some show up just to be vocal about their displeasure. And I think that's one of the things that makes UNLV very, very difficult. There's not their support until you screw up mm -hmm. once. And once you screw up, it starts to thin real quickly. I don't think it's fair, especially for a young, any coach, but a young coach that's got a major job and he's got a lot of work cut out for him because he's going to try to change a culture that's almost 180 degrees. Yep. And that's not easy. Although it is, it's easier to do in basketball than it is something like what Sanchez is trying to do with football. Absolutely. Football, you're talking how many scholarships on a football team? Um, in the 60s. Yeah, and, and you need upperclassmen to be successful. With college basketball, you know, you got 13 scholarships. You could cut half of them loose and get in half your own guys, and you could start to make, see a difference immediately. Yeah, and, um, and especially in this day and age whenever there's so many fifth-year transfers and – I mean, you got a lot of guys that can play immediately out there. Right. Um, but you, you don't want to get stuck into the rut of where you're playing catch-up with recruiting because, because you got Got to have a couple of, of everything. Yeah, because if, if you say, you know what, we're not going to have a real good team, and then you overcompensate and you get like four or five fifth-year seniors, and then you recruit a bunch of freshmen to replace them, then next year you're young. Right. So, I mean, there's still that delicate balance that has to be stricken in order to, to get enough good stagger mm -hmm. so that you could build consistency. Yep. I, you know, I, I but that first year is the toughest. Yep. It, it, it's going to be uh, interesting. Uh, I'm excited to sit down with him and, and, and talk with him and, and find out his philosophies. And I, I want to know about his scheduling philosophy. Of course, next year he's got uh, quite the load he's going to be facing. Yeah. He hasn't played a schedule like this before. He's got Kansas at home, Duke at home. Um, I think we play at Oregon no, in Portland. A, yeah, neutral site game at Arizona State. Yeah, I don't um, think I don't know if Arizona's. No, they're not next year. They're the uh, year we skip after. a year. Yeah, okay. But uh, well, Duke and Arizona or Duke and Kansas at home is plenty. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for a guy that went fourteen and zero last year, <laughs> right. to be to have to have those two giants on the schedule, it's um, behemoth. And 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 you know what? Uh, you know what's funny. I expect to see Perry Ellis starting for Kansas. Oh, I'm sure he will. Yeah. I yeah if he's not, his son will be. <laughs> I think you're right. Holy cow. Who who do you pick to win? Give me give me your, your final three games. Oh, um, Villanova and, and Oklahoma going to be just such a dogfight. Um, here's the thing I, that really impresses me about Villanova, and I, I've been – watching them all year and I've been betting their unders a lot because their point guard that Archie Archie Akamado or whatever the hell his name is. Yeah, whatever his name is. Um you know what the, he the, the Italian kid. The yeah. Good one. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. So forget about it. He's amazing the way he can set the tempo. Uh -huh. First half, they go balls to the wall. Balls to the wall. Just push, 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 push. Second half, 
slow, slow. They are so methodical in the second mm-hmm. half of games, and they get good shots. That that's the best part. They don't ever rely on just that high screen, and and uh, they can run the clock down to ten seconds and make four or five passes, and they're getting a wide open jumper. Uh, so they're going to be tough to me. Obviously, my heart's going to be with Kruger. I want to see Kruger and Henson. I, I like those guys, man. They were we were close with them whenever they, they were, were real cats. Is that what you're going to say? Were good, you were going to call they them were cats, good dudes. Yeah, you know. Um, I really liked so Steve, you got, especially. You, you got Villanova versus. You got to say uh, North Carolina. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to actually go with Oklahoma versus UNC, and I think Oklahoma is going to pull off the upset and win the championship. I just, I have a thing for um, experience. Um, when you add up team years of experience, and I think Kruger's got the right mix. He's got a lot of um, those upperclassmen, and, and I think Buddy Heald's just incredible. And, he's great. And even when he's not, it seems like they have players that pick up the slack. Uh, they slumped a little bit there in, in February, losing a few games, but I'm going to go with them. I I just like their team. I think if they click offensively like they can, and they usually do, I think they're a tough out. I usually think North Carolina is pretty soft this time of year, and and that's what does them in. But, man, this Bryce Johnson kid is just a guy on a mission, and, and the Barry, the two guard, is, is starting to remind me of Shabon Williams. Right. He just doesn't miss right now. And uh, they their big wing – that guy's pretty pretty awesome. The Jackson kid and uh, yeah, they're just uh, yeah, deep. They, they, they are. They're deep. They're loaded. They... Marcus Page, if he's making his shots, my God! I mean, they just become such a nightmare. Um, and I tell you what, I I'm not a Bayheim fan at all, but you know you got to give him a lot of credit. To, oh, he cheats with the best of them. That. That kid Roberson, yeah, is the next Dennis Rodman. I mean, he is just an absolute animal yeah. on the boards. For a guy that can't score, he changes the game, right? And uh, apparently, I was talking to a Syracuse fan a couple of days ago, and he said that Roberson was so bad ten games into the season that Beheim called him out in public and say, "I can't even play this kid anymore." And uh, all of a sudden, light went on. I mean, he gets every board in the world. Mm -hmm. So there it is. Villanova, North Carolina. Villanova pulls the upset. First uh, Philly championship since the the Phillies, I guess. And the first Villanova championship since? Since 84. Who was that? Massimino. Oh, yeah, Raleigh. Here we go. Uh, The Raleigh years. Now it's uh, all about the beard. Yep. I guess that'll do it. I don't know when we're going to bounce back. Um, Hopefully, we can bounce back as after we uh, find out what the roster is, who the well, assistant coaches are. Let's at least get a press conference and find out what he has to say, and, yeah, and, and, and then then we can at least talk about maybe what his philosophies are going to be, and because uh, there's no going to games anymore, so yeah, um, we can meet up here once a week for these instead well, of maybe, games. Maybe you could get in there and talk to him a little bit. Um, Get some interviews and mm-hmm. get some more stories up. And hey, why don't you open up some questions to the fans on the confidential board? I like it. Yeah, that'll put like a that? post on the confidential board too. Right, let, let them ask some of the questions they want, and we'll take them in. Yeah, I like that, it. I always like that because, um, I mean, 
we're, we're fans, so we, we know what we think like the fans. So right. we kind of know what they're going to ask. But somebody may come up with something that says, makes us say, hmm. Ooh. Hmm. Things, Things that, that make, make you go, hmm. Huh. Do you want that song to close with? No, I want to hear more all about the beard. Is that it? All right. Yeah, let's rock Until that. next time. I'm all about that beer, about that beer, no stubble. I'm all about that beer, about that beer, no stubble. I'm all about that beer, about that beer, no stubble. I'm all about that.